Welcome to Mind Love, episode 75. Today's episode is all about dealing with toxic parents and family members. He ran the toxic pattern that I was raised in, which is you get idealized. Then once you're comfortable, he's comfortable that they have you where they want you. He devalues you. Then he completely discards you. And then when he needs you, he sucks you back in and you get idealized again. But each time you fall down, bam, 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 right? Idealize, suck back in, devalue, discard. Every time you go through that process, you want that person more. We crave the attention from the person who is terrorizing us for whatever reason when it comes to abandonment. Turn up your frequency with Mind Love. Bite-sized brain hacks for seekers, dreamers, and doers. It's time to give your mind a little love with your host, Melissa Monti. Tap that cute little button that says subscribe. More subscribers means even better guests and even more value. Plus, it helps grow the show so more people can find it. And if you ask me, everyone can use a little more mind love. Hi friends, hope your Easter was amazing. Just a forewarning, my allergies are crazy right now, so I will do my best to not sound like a snotty little boy during this episode. Today's episode is covering a topic that's actually been requested dozens of times, and I was just waiting for the right person. We're talking about toxic parents, but everything here also applies to toxic relationships or other family members, so stick around if that speaks to you. I personally do not have toxic parents. I mean, my mom and I have our disagreements like any mother-daughter duo, especially when it comes to religion or my lack thereof. But otherwise, we're very close. So my goal was to find somebody that not only specialized in dealing with toxic dynamics, but also has some first-hand experience with her own toxic parents so that you could have that viewpoint. And I did find the perfect person for you. She actually wrote a book on the subject. While I haven't dealt with toxic parents, I have had a toxic relationship, and I know the damage that that did to me. And not just at the time, it was a whole journey of crawling out of that dark hole that he left me in. With relationships, as in my case, you at least have the option of walking away. Not that walking away is easy. In my relationship, there was a lot of manipulation that made it really hard for me to see the exit door until I was actually out of it. And then I was left thinking, why did I allow that to happen for so long? But you know, hindsight's 2020. In family relationships though, it can be more complicated, especially if you're a minor or you're somehow reliant on the people physically or emotionally abusing you. I can't help but think back to my stepbrothers. Their mother and grandparents were pretty toxic. We always had to deal with it because my stepdad was sharing the custody. But wow, even then, even not having to live in her household, it felt like terror sometimes. You truly never knew what their mom was going to do. Here's an example. When I was 13, she actually spread a rumor about me in my middle school. Who does that to a 13-year-old? She told my younger stepbrother's friends, who were all 12, by the way, that I was a lesbian. 
If that had happened now, I probably would have just pretended I was a lesbian. Who cares? But at the time, middle school was already its own special form of hell, aside from having to deal with a rumor that I barely understood. And that's just what I had to deal with. And even to this day, I can clearly see the effect that it did to my stepbrothers. So for those of you that are in that situation, or you have been, or you know someone, or you have a toxic relationship... This episode is for you. Our guest today is Dr. Sherry Campbell, a licensed psychologist, nationally recognized expert, and inspiring author, and child of toxic parents. She not only has two decades of experience, but she's also kind of a go-to gal for TV and radio, so I am stoked to have her here on Mind Love today. Three things we will learn today are the difference between toxic and non-toxic people, and how to tell the difference the lifelong effect that toxic relationships have on you, and how to start building back your confidence in the aftermath. Before we dive in, I want to share the easiest way to start each day with a positive mindset. Thousands of other wild women are loving my daily morning mind love emails. They're short daily reminders of your own beauty, magic, and power that are the perfect addition to your morning routine. Just visit mindlove.com and sign up right there on the homepage. Or if you're out and about, just text the word MORNING to 33777. That's MORNING to 33777. You'll get some amazing free gifts when you do. First, you'll get a really cool free booklet of Powerless based on proven principles from the most successful people to automate your best self. Plus, you'll get a free guided affirmation meditation. It's set to a magical binaural frequency known as the Miracle Tone, which is known to make you a magnet for love, health, and abundance. The layered affirmations perfectly tune your frequency for personal transformation. Go to mindlove.com to sign up. Or if you're out and about, just text the word MORNING to 444-999. That's MORNING to 444-999. Let's welcome Dr. Sherry Campbell to the show. So first off, what drove you to start helping people deal with their toxic families? Well, I grew up in one and for years just thought I was literally crazy, but couldn't figure out why I was crazy. Like I knew everything was blamed on me, but I couldn't really pinpoint what I did, but was always left feeling very guilty, confused, obligated, very suppressed and wrong, bad. And I would read things on toxic family or, you know, dysfunctional families, immature parents and all that sort of stuff. And it would validate a lot of what I was going through, but there was no way out. It was like, you became this type of person because of this. Okay, super, right? That doesn't really solve my problem. And the older I got, the more clear this became the more I healed my own life, I moved states and began to really heal. And then I had my own child and then things kept just getting more and more clear. And I eventually realized I had no other choice at some point if I wanted to be happy, but to cut ties. And I realized that nobody was really sharing that information. And I wasn't sure if it was wrong information, you know, if I was doing something terrible. And as I've healed, I've realized I've just really done the right thing for me. And I didn't feel fair to keep it to myself. The book doesn't serve me. If anything, it could provoke the negative that I left. But if I had even had one chapter of this book, it would have done a tremendous amount to save much of my self-worth. So it felt very worth it. So is that what drove you to go into psychology in general? Or was it through your work that you started to unravel your own life and were like, wow, crap? <laughs> 
I knew really young, Melissa, that something was wrong. Both of my parents married four times each. So as obvious as that might seem to others, when that's all I knew, it's all I knew. I didn't have another experience, but I was very lonely. And I experienced that more as like a stomach ache, right? Because kids can't process big concepts like loneliness. So I knew something wasn't wrong. And I knew that the relationship that they shared with my brother was very different from mine. He was very much the golden child and the easy kid. And I was the bad kid and the sensitive kid and the one who didn't go along well with all of their decisions, right? So I knew stuff wasn't right, but I kept thinking it was me because they needed me to believe it was me. I was the only one probably who held that truth, that it wasn't me. So they needed to bury that. So it sounds like there are kind of different roles. I would think that if there were toxic parents, then all the kids would be perceiving those parents as toxic. But it sounds like that's not the case. Well, I can't speak for my sibling. I know that he's not crazy close to them, most likely, but I think he feels an obligation to them. He was a big narcissistic feed for them because he was a professional athlete. And here I am failing and screaming and yelling and, you know, this isn't right. What's going on isn't right. And they just want to hear me. So he made them look very good. They have the superstar kids. So people falsely assume that the parenting must be good. And I'm a bad egg, right? I always wanted to be him. I wanted to be the golden child. But now I wouldn't trade places with him for the whole world because as the scapegoat, I was compelled to ask questions outside of the family system answers. And he will never do that likely in his life. He will stay stuck to that. Uh, I think there's a codependency that they share. And I think that the more toxic the family, the more rigid the roles in the family. So some people might say that defining someone as toxic is a little bit harsh because, I mean, we all do toxic things sometimes. So how do you know if somebody's actually a toxic person compared to just someone who has occasional toxic behaviors? So there's a difference, I think, between flawed and toxic because we all have foibles and flaws that aren't real healthy, but a healthy person, maybe with a toxic trait, will acknowledge that that trait is there and will feel bad if that trait comes out, has the humility to own it and apologize. And a toxic person does not believe they have any flaws. They will never apologize. And it is always your fault. So that's the huge difference between them. And I would say that toxic people really are sort of basic and they run the same patterns. And I think that they exist more on a scale of mild, moderate to severe rather than different types. I use the word toxic to cover the personality disorders, right? Borderline narcissistic, histrionic, dependent, antisocial. What they all have in common is they're selfish and they're never wrong. So instead of getting jargony on people, I figured toxic makes sense. And when we look at that, they invalidate us, they minimize our feelings, they rewrite history. They're never wrong. They never apologize. People go, yes, 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 yes. It's easier to see maybe in a romantic partner because as children, we're just compelled to love our parents. So it's a longer process, really defining our family as toxic and more scary. One of the most common things that I hear from people that are in toxic relationships is that they really believe that that person can change, that if they just love them enough, they're going to do better. 
I remember when I was in my toxic relationship, that was what kept pulling me back to him. This hope that I held that somehow things were going to be different this time. And it never was. But to be fair, when I look back to my early 20s, when I was just going through all of my stuff and trying to figure stuff out and self-destructing, I don't know, maybe some people did consider me toxic. I feel like I was toxic to myself, so why wouldn't other people feel that way? But I did grow out of it. I got to a point where I knew that I had to make changes or I might not survive. So I guess I'm wondering, is there ever a chance that toxic people can change? Or is that the difference between someone just going through issues and actually being toxic? It's not changeable or fixable. We all have toxic traits and we should all expect to be somewhat brain damaged from the age of 14 to about 25, right? So we're developing our identity and we're brain damaged at that point. So it's just one of those things when we look at toxic, truly toxic people, not people with toxic traits or growing up through development, right? They do use doses of intermittent kindness because abuse doesn't work without doses of intermittent kindness and they use it intentionally. So kindness is just used for compliance and you get doped up on hope. So hope is dope, right? They know exactly how to push you to your lowest where you're just about to go, I can't do this anymore. And they Jekyll hide you, they turn around and they give you a dose of hope. So you've gone down so low that that tiny dose of hope lifts you up so high that it's an exaggerated feeling, but it keeps you stuck in the system, which is what toxic families want. They want you to stay stuck. They enjoy manipulating and they enjoy manipulating their children, which is super sad, but it's a reality. Before we totally expand our minds, I want to invite you to wake up to the morning mind love. Every weekday morning, you just get a little inspiration to set your tone for the day and give you something positive to focus on. Think of it like a short note from your higher self. Plus, when you sign up, you get two free gifts, a super powerful 30-minute affirmation meditation and 30 days of journaling prompts to help you remember who you truly are. And it's all completely free. So join over 9,000 people and go to mindlove.com to sign up. Or if you're out and about, just text the word MORNING to 33777. That's MORNING to 33777. If there's one topic that keeps coming up in my women's circles, it's our hormones. Frankly, I think that between years of birth control or beauty products that mess with endocrine function, a lot of us are just out of whack. EstroControl is a formula developed by Happy Mammoth, a supplement company dedicated to making women's lives easier. It has science-backed herbal extracts that help support hormonal health, especially in women who suffer from PMS. The way EstroControl eases PMS is pretty interesting. The ingredients support the liver, and that's where our hormones get processed, especially estrogen. So when the estrogen isn't processed well in the liver, women may start having PMS, spots on the skin, they get cravings, they feel low all of a sudden. EstroControl was created to help women feel like themselves all throughout the month because PMS can basically rob us of a week of our lives. 
every month. Totally not fair. Estro control is made specifically for women who are premenopausal. So it's perfect for women that haven't entered menopause yet. And in fact, it's amazing for perimenopause when hormones start to fluctuate and PMS can turn into a beast. I have been relearning myself postpartum. I just started my period again when my baby was 10 months and I forgot how wild these hormone changes can be. I wanted something to just maintain optimal hormone levels and help with mild mood swings, and Estro Control is perfect for this. For a limited time, you can get 15% off your entire first order at happymammoth.com with promo code MINDLOVE at checkout. That's happymammoth.com and use promo code MINDLOVE for 15% off your first order. This is one of those times that I can't help but feel so blessed because even though I did go through a lot of shit, I always knew I had my mom there to just be my support system. And I was blessed to have amazing parents who loved me. It's hard for me to even really imagine what it would be like to not have that. No, it's tragic. It's so tragic. And it's so scary. And it has affected me for my entire life. Like I noticed certain things in myself Like I can draw love from a relationship. I can love someone and they can love me back and I can receive that. But I have an inability to draw comfort from a relationship. It's not developed in me that people are going to remain being who they are for long periods of time. And so I'm not fighting that process in myself anymore. I can't go back to the ages of development when trust and mistrust was developed or those types of things and and redo those stages. I accept that this is a piece of me that will always have a little hole in it. But my liberation came in cutting ties because I couldn't heal in the environment that was poisoning me. And it's never too late to cut ties. I mean, I was 45. It took me that long because our family is supposed to be a different way. And so you hang on to it. One thing I think it's hard for people is just this pedestal that people put the whole family relationship on. It's like, well, family is everything. Everything comes back to family. No matter what, you have your family. And that's just not true for some people. I look at my toxic relationships, which I've had a romantic relationship as well as a couple of toxic friendships. And one of the best things I ever did for myself was cut that off. So I have had conversations with people and in my head, I'm thinking, I know it's your mom, but sometimes you've just got to clip it for a while. It's not serving either of you to keep this toxic spiral. But I feel like there's just messaging out there that if you can't make a family relationship work, there's something wrong with you. That's somehow selfish or wrong of you. And I'm not even touching on the religious households that I feel like really push the whole family first or else it's blasphemy type message. And my philosophy, at least for my life personally, is just if it's not serving me, cut it off. Agreed. And I also I don't identify as religious, although I did for the religious community put an entire chapter in my book called What About God? And my editor is a Bible expert. And we really sat together and developed this chapter based on no contact and what the Bible really says, which was actually a great learning experience for me as well. But what I really find is this idea of forgiveness. And I talk about the eight myths of forgiveness. In reality, forgiveness is an act of mercy that we give to somebody else because they're sorry. 
right? So we give it to them. But if someone isn't sorry, then it isn't something we should give them. So forgiveness, if we don't, we hear these strange things. Like if you don't forgive, you're going to harbor hatred and it's going to kill you and not them. And I don't forgive my family and I'm not bitter and I'm not living hating them. I don't need revenge, right? Was more powerful for me than forgiveness was acceptance. It wasn't necessarily hard knowing my family was toxic. It was accepting that they were toxic, that it would be forever. Acceptance was something that I now do for me. Forgiveness would be something I would give them if they were sorry, but they aren't sorry. And so I can't really give it to them because they wouldn't take it anyway. Further, I don't think forgiveness always means reconciliation, and nor do I want my forgiveness to lead to my abuse, to further abuse. I really enjoyed writing those myths out because I think those myths alone would add such a value. Because we get turned into the bad person for not forgiving an unforgivable thing and a person who doesn't want the forgiveness anyway. Yeah. You know, so accepting something is always more painful than forgiving. We can say we forgive someone, but we're really bottling it up or we're doing it to look good in the image and it's not authentic. So we suffer the most when we cannot accept a reality as it is, like in a toxic relationship, right? You don't want your friend to be that way. So you justify and justify and justify this behavior and you're getting run over and run over and taken advantage of. And you're doing all the giving, that person's doing all the taking. And then finally you come to a place where you're like, I just have to accept that this person is who they are. And guess what? You stop suffering. Yeah, to me, that's the difference between, say, the dictionary definition of forgiveness and the actual spiritual process of forgiveness, which is more acceptance, learning and growing and releasing instead of harboring those feelings of resentment. Because resentment and anger and grudges live within you. That person isn't going to be affected by them. So it's not going to help anybody if you hold on to them. I can say pretty surely that I have forgiven my toxic ex, but that has not involved even conversing with him. I did not do it for him. I did it for me. And I think part of that process of forgiveness is even if they were mostly wrong to see my part in it all, like what allowed me to get to a level of allowing myself to be treated that way for so long. And that can be hard because like you said, we justify and we justify and letting go of those justifications is part of the growth process. But it's hard because I think the reasons that we feel so compelled to justify is because when we allow ourselves to really look at the full situation in its truth, in the big picture, it's hard not to feel stupid for putting up with that for so long. For real, especially when it's a friendship or a romantic partner. When it's your family, you can't feel stupid for being in it because you don't have a choice. Yeah. Right? You're born into this. We don't choose our parents. And I find it strange that when I look at my parenting and I want my daughter to be not only very loved, but also disciplined. And so if she treats me disrespectfully, which she never does, but if she did, she would get disciplined because I love her and I want her to treat people right. But when I apply that exact same principle to my toxic family, I am considered a rebellious kid. So that doesn't make any sense to me. I'm applying the same love and the same discipline to my toxic family members 
for good treatment, respectful treatment, and I'm considered a bad kid. This does not make sense. Okay, so I'm not sure if this is an extreme comparison, but I was recently watching the Finding Neverland documentary. Oh, so good. I know, right? It was crazy. And a lot of the realizations that the victims had actually came when they had children of their own. And they saw their children at the age when the abuse started. But what's crazy is, I don't think you can watch that documentary and not believe them. But I remember hearing about it back in the day, and I just didn't want to believe that Michael Jackson would do something like that. So, of course, I wasn't studying up on it, but I would hear things here and there, and it made sense to me, the defense that, oh, well, Michael Jackson was just childlike. And I think the same thing happens in family relationships. People don't want to believe that family members can actually do that. I've watched it twice now. Because really what Michael did is he ran the toxic pattern that I was raised in, which is you get idealized. Then once you're comfortable, he's comfortable that they have you where they want you. He devalues you. Then he completely discards you. And then when he needs you, he sucks you back in and you get idealized again. But each time you fall down, bam, 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 right? Idealize, suck back in, devalue, discard. Every time you go through that process, you want that person more. We crave the attention from the person who is terrorizing us for whatever reason when it comes to abandonment. So when you look at Wade Robson and he had COA, right? And he didn't want to process what happened with Michael that way because he loved Michael. Michael wasn't mean, but Michael was raping these boys, Mm -hmm. but he wasn't mean. Okay. So again, abuse does not work without kindness. True abuse. Okay. So when he saw Koa and he realized, like, I don't want that to happen to Koa, then he became like, I know why. But he wanted to be the one that saved Michael, that didn't let Michael get in trouble because he wanted Michael to idealize him again. And he programmed this poor kid from seven years old onward. It was like he was trying to earn the golden child position back or something. He was. They all do. So in my toxic family, If my sibling was not measuring up to the attention that my parents needed, guess who they would promote behind my back? They'd promote me to him. Oh, well, your sister is doing this, 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 and this to make sure that he might fear his position as the golden child to get him to come back in and give them the attention that they wanted. And I'd be discarded again. So Michael did this repeating one boy was replaced by another boy, right? In my toxic family, I was just used at times to get my brother back in position. Well, when is the right time to cut off a toxic relationship? And how do you know it's time? So this is such an interesting question. You will never know. (laughs) Uh, It's not like you sit down and you write a letter. First of all, they will never read a letter. They're never going to give you closure, okay? You will always feel guilty. You will always be left feeling like it's your fault. So you have to decide when it's closed. I did not cut ties out of any sense of confidence. I cut ties out of no other choice. It got so bad for me that it felt like I'm either going to go in this building and burn or I need to jump. So I jumped. And they cut me off. And I just chose not to mend fences, which was my role as the scapegoat to beg my way back in. And there's been no repair ever since. Do you wish you would have cut it off earlier? Yes. Oh my gosh, yes. 
And I realized that I couldn't have either because when it's your family, unlike a friend or a boyfriend, partner, husband, like with Michael Jackson, seven years old, all the way through this kid's life, right? So I'm birth all the way through my life. And we have this idea, which is even more intense than Michael, that we need our family. Michael wasn't their family. So I have this bond or this thing that's not under my control, but to be naked in the world without family at whatever age you are is a very scary thought. Well, what if you're in a position where you can't cut off that toxic relationship? If you're a minor, you rely on your parents for food and shelter and schooling, or maybe there's some other obligation that you just can't quite drop yet. What can you do to at least ease up your situation a little bit? So there are strategies. I work with several young adults or 16 and up, let's say, all the way to whatever age, but if they're still connected to the family or they have to be by lack of resources or whatnot. So one of the natural things we do to cope is we please. And when we're pleasing out of fear and coping, it's not seen by us as a strategy as much as a necessity. So I teach my younger people that lack resources to please by strategy. So I have a patient whose mother, if her daughter does not ask her all about her day when she gets home, I mean, this turns into a really big fight. So this makes this daughter want to not ask her mother how she's doing because she's being forced to do it. And I said, well, ask her how her day was. And yes, yes, her. Yeah, yeah, good. But now you don't have any conflict. And when you're doing it as a strategy, it will take the power away from her because you're going to know you're not doing it out of pleasing. So it's almost like you use the same coping skills, but you just do it with awareness instead for self-preservation. And until they're independent, that's what they have to do. They've got to play the game. Are there any arguments for keeping that relationship going, but maybe limiting your time? Some people might argue that, well, you're depriving your children of their grandparents and Just because they treated you this way doesn't mean they're going to treat your kids this way. Would you say that's possible or is it just hopeless? Toxic parents make toxic grandparents. So protect your kids. (laughs) I mean, that's easy enough, right? So here's the thing. I tried low contact and cordial contact. I have a woman in my practice who is the caregiver of her abusive mother. There's no point in her cutting ties right now. Okay, the mother is not going to live long, and the daughter has decreased very greatly her contact with her mother around conversations. So she's the caregiver, and she's let her mother know if you bring up A, B, C, or D, or you cut me down, blah, 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 I'm going to leave. And she has held tight to those boundaries in doing that. She would feel very guilty at this point because her mother is not healthy. She can't even take care of herself. So she has helped hire someone to help her as well. So the burden isn't completely on her. So she knows there's a light at the end of the tunnel, but if you're young and your parent is going to live for a long time, there are toxic grandparents and nearly all of them that will manipulate your reputation to your own children. It's horrible. The things that I've seen and the things that I saw happen to my daughter. So I had to cut that. I was very clear that they don't change. They don't just manipulate only a select few people. They manipulate everybody every day, all the time, including service people, the guy at the sandwich shop. They're manipulating all the time. 
Okay. So low contact for me was I'd see him on holidays only. And then they caught on to that. And then, then that wasn't enough drama. So they create drama. So then I went to low contact, cordial contact, which was if I saw them, I was cordial. And then that turned into drama. And it became a point that I was going to jump out of the building or go burn to death. And I just didn't want to burn to death. You know what I mean? I have always been someone who's prioritized wellness. Well, at least what I understood about it at the time, which has definitely evolved. But now I live in a town where some of my conveniences just aren't as accessible as when I lived in L.A., Then I found Aloe Moves and my whole experience changed. I've been an avid yogi for 16 years, but frankly, I am just underwhelmed by most online yoga. Their flows are either too easy or not varied enough. Well, Aloe Moves has everything. Of course, they have an endless selection of beginner content since that is the category most people fall into, but they even have advanced and yoga teacher focused content. They are the only online platform that I can find that I can narrow down the time that I'm looking for precisely. Like, I have 38 minutes today. What you got? (laughs) They have something for every mood. Trying to get a good sweat? Try their award-winning workouts like sweat-inducing yoga flows, HIIT classes, or reformer Pilates workouts with or without weights. Or find stress relief with meditations, affirmations, face yoga, gua sha, dry brushing, and even journaling for those quiet moments. And when it comes to sleep, it's just as important as fitness and nutrition. Ever since I watched The Art of Sleep on Allo Moves, I've been falling asleep faster and staying asleep longer. So unlock your personal wellness routine with Allo Moves. Go to allomoves.com now and use code MINDLOVE for an exclusive 30-day free trial and enjoy 20% off an annual membership. That's allomoves.com code MINDLOVE. allomoves.com code MINDLOVE. Americans spend an average of 90% of their time indoors and take about 20,000 breaths a day. And get this, the indoor air that we breathe is two to five times more polluted than outdoor air, and in some cases up to 100 times more polluted, according to the EPA. And did you know that air pollution is responsible for nearly 7 million premature deaths globally? So what's the solution? Two words, living intentionally. We have to take full responsibility for every area of our lives, including our health, which also includes our air. And that's why I love my air doctor. As a reminder, when you support my sponsors, you also support the show. Air Doctor filters out 99.99% of dangerous contaminants, so your lungs don't have to. This includes pollutants like allergens, pollen, pet dander, dust mites, spores, and even bacteria and viruses. I live in the mountains, and our air is pretty great. When I drive home, I can witness myself rising above the cloud of pollution that covers the rest of Southern California. But I know that even in the mountains, my home traps in the contaminants that my family brings inside. Plus, just sleeping one night with my air doctor, I could actually feel the difference. Air Doctor comes with a 30-day breathe easy money-back guarantee, so if you don't love it, just send it back for a refund minus shipping. So head to Air Doctor Pro and use promo code MIND, and depending on the model, you'll get up to $300 off. You're saving up to $300. Lock the special offer by going to A-I-R-D-O-C-T-O-R-P-R-O.com and use promo code MIND. That's promo code M-I-N-D. I think you made a good differentiation there where it's not like somebody just has toxic parents. It's that 
you have parents that are toxic people. So it's not just a dynamic created between you two. They're going to be toxic no matter what. And they're going to be toxic to everyone. So is it more likely that people will have two toxic parents? Because if they had just one, then they at least have to have another parent that's willing to be in that toxic relationship. <laughs> in other words, I write about in the book, and this can be switched sexes, but if you have a toxic mother, you will find that you tend to have a very passive father. And that passive father is as afraid of the wrath of the toxic mother as we are. So he'll tell us on the side, like, shh, shh, don't do that. Don't do that. It'll make your mom mad. But he doesn't understand the logic that that lacks because he's not taking care of us. But that passive father is very detrimental to his kids because he is modeling the exact opposite of resilience or fatherhood, right? And it can be the other way. Our, our mother can be so afraid of our toxic father that those same rules apply. And we are consistently left unprotected by both parents. So if one parent is toxic, the other parent is toxic too. It's contagious. So I'm wondering, where does toxic behavior come from? Is it that they're just bad people who gets off on this sort of thing and making other people miserable? Or is it a symptom of something deeper, like the way they were raised or their own repressed trauma? I'm going to tell you that it's both, but there are too many people that were raised in toxic families that aren't toxic. Okay, so here's the deal. If a toxic person is smart enough to brainwash, manipulate, project, deflect, guilt, bully, and rewrite history and manipulate and gaslight, then they're certainly smart enough to know when they're doing that and when their victims say that you're hurting me. So for people to say they don't know what they're doing, uh-uh, that's not true. Because they're smart enough to do all that stuff. That takes a lot of work, <laughs> you know, to manipulate you have to constantly be thinking in a bad way. So they do enjoy that. Toxic people thrive on two things. They want attention and emotional reaction. They don't care if that attention comes in the form of you loving them, pleasing them, running around, trying to make them happy, or if you are berating them for their flagrant abusive behavior. As long as all of your thoughts and feelings are focused on them, they're happy. A lot of what you're describing when you talk about these toxic behaviors sounds to me like narcissism. So is that the main root of being toxic or is it just one form of being toxic? Just one form of it. The borderline, the histrionic, the antisocial and the dependent are all equally as manipulative. And the thing about the personality disorders, the reason that I just use the word toxic is if you have narcissism, you probably have traits of antisocial, traits of being histrionic, traits of borderline, and traits of being dependent. If you've got one, you've got traits of all of them. Mm. And so if you really want to know toxic is go read about those five disorders and that's toxic. I define the 25 traits of toxic people in the book to make that very easy for people. And I also define what healthy looks like to give people an example because we're all toxic sometimes. None of us are perfect. But toxic people are bad people who act good sometimes, and good people are good people who have bad moments sometimes. That's the big difference. It's the consistency and persistency of the badness. You know, when I really reflect back on my toxic relationship, I was at the lowest point of self-love before I even met him. So I had to be that low in order to not only attract that type of person, but also accept somebody treating me that way. 
Like, it's hard for me to even imagine the girl that allowed that to happen. So when somebody does find themselves in such a toxic relationship, chances are there's other stuff going on at the same time to where it's harder to even see the big picture of what's happening to them. I mean, for me, people were warning me about it for quite a long time. And I just justified, 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 like we talked about. And it had to get so bad that the only option for me was moving on. Do we just need to learn things the absolute hardest way? Or is there a way to start building up that strength to cut it off a little bit earlier and save yourself the trauma? Mm hmm. You know, the thing is, is, you just basically said, you know, what happened with me as well. I didn't build up confidence to do it. You get to a point where there is no other choice. And it all depends on our tolerance for pain, I suppose, right? You hit your now moment and I hit mine. And my now moment wasn't the worst moment. It was the final thing that broke the bag open where I was just done. And so I think that you really replicated the same process that I took. Now, when people come to see me, because this book is blowing up, it's already sold out on Amazon and it's selling out in Barnes and Noble stores, I'm being told. So who knew, but shocking to me and so exciting. But there are people that now have a way and now they have a guide and maybe they're not ready to leave yet, but my book offers a path out that they can at least start to think about. Because if you look back, Melissa, I will lay you money that you started separating long before you were totally fed up and done. You knew something wasn't right. You may not have thought you were separating, but if you were like, no, I'll just give it one more chance, then some part of you was like, I can't give this person another chance. So you were working your way unconsciously toward that ending point. The interesting thing about toxic people is how actually naive they are because they fail to realize that at some point we're going to tire of this and go. And they're actually shocked when we go, like shocked. And that shocks us because we're like, you think you're that innocent. They don't think that they're that innocent. They just can't believe that we had any power, that they believe that they annihilated us enough that they'd have us forever. I mean, that description alone makes you want to move on. (laughs) That's right. And when you add parenting to that, you can't divorce your parents. You can't break up with them like you can. I will be forever tied to my family. You won't be forever tied to this man. I'm forever tied to them by DNA. So it's a whole other level of grief. And they didn't die. So I can't complete a grieving process because I'm actually abandoned every single day that they choose to be abusive or to be out of contact or not apologize or they fling separation abuse my way a couple times a year. It's really interesting watching the dynamic, but I would never go back at this point either. I feel so much happier. I had to build my confidence post cutting ties because I had lost all my confidence in that family. And so I started at a zero or negative zero, below zero, (laughs) and I had to work my way up. So what is separation abuse exactly? So it's called hoovering in the literature on romantic relationships. Hoovering like the vacuum is they do things to suck you in. So I hear from my toxic mother twice a year. I hear from her on Christmas and I hear from her on my birthday. And she sends me a broken statue of a mother swinging around her daughter as a present. Sick beyond, right? 
It's just absolutely insane, some of the things. And then recently, I received a family trust that I did not think I would receive until she passed. And I became very clear after I sought legal help that she was essentially sending me this trust. That's my grandmother's. That's meant for the generations below to help pay for our kids' education. That she was letting me know she has full control over this trust, that my brother would be getting the money, but not me. So instead of apologizing to me or how can we work this out, I really miss you, or saying, hey, I put equal disbursements in an account for your daughter as your brother has taken for his child. Anytime that you're ready to work this out, just know I'm still keeping things fair. That's what a healthy parent would do. She just wants to starve me into submission, right? I'm a single mom. So she's preying upon things that she thinks is a shoe in to get me to break my boundaries on her. And so... I've gone through all kinds of stuff. Like, do you send the presents back? Why'd she send it broken? First of all, the statue itself was totally inappropriate to send when we haven't spoken for two years. And everything that year had to do with mothering, which I think is incredibly manipulative. But I would have to break contact, wouldn't I, if I wanted a replacement statue? Yeah. So, no, I threw it away. And I always advise people, should I send my gifts back? Then they're going to know they crossed my boundaries. I said, no. If you send them back, they're going to go out on their smear campaign with evidence that you're abusing them. So they do these things and you're just going to die. They do these things to be able to say, I tried. Well, then why are you not trying on August 1st when there's no holiday and it doesn't make you look good? Yeah. And the exact wording in the card on my birthday this year, April 9th, was, I will never stop trying. (laughs) I'm like... Wow, you just turned yourself into a live demonstration and proved my point. She's not trying for me. She had to exhaust herself to contact me twice in four months, both on major holidays that make her look good. I tried, but she's so stubborn. She's hurting me. What is she trying for? She's trying to save her own reputation. You know, so it's so manipulative and conniving. And the hard thing about emotional abuse is you can't prove it. I can't prove a look of disgust. I can't prove a tone of voice. But every card that I receive is she's the victim of me hurting her. It's just insane. So you wrote this book about having toxic family members. Are you worried that your family's going to try to retaliate? I mean, I feel like that's the danger of poking the bear with toxic people. I remember thinking one time when I cut out a particular friendship, Is this person going to try to troll my reviews or something like that? Gosh, I've thought about that a million times. I have no idea. I mean, it's really not about them and it's not for them. Mm -hmm. It's about me. It's about case studies. It's about the research I've done. And it's about the victim. It's so much more about the victim than it is the toxic person, right? That there is a way to get out of this. There is a way to heal your life. I don't hate my toxic family. I don't like them. And I don't like them enough to have them in my life, but I love them because they're my family and the people who brought me into the world and gave me this life. I have no desire to see them. No contact for me has nothing to do with wanting to hurt them. It's only done to protect me. So being a toxic person that they are, They've already abandoned me. That The big break in the family is I self-published a book many years ago. And I had thought, you know, maybe if they see my story, not through me confronting them, but they see it through a different vantage point, maybe they will actually feel bad and we can heal. And they 
annihilated me for writing that book. Even after my mother helped finance it and knew for seven years I was writing it and knew the content. Just when you think something is turning out normal, it flips on you in a second. So I've already had the experience of, I haven't spoken to my father or brother since the publishing of that book. And the book was published in December and they chose to annihilate me on my 42nd birthday over it, which was four months later. So they chose the day. They chose my birthday. That outlook's really helpful, though, because you can't really worry about what they're going to do. Otherwise, they win. You'd be giving them your power if you let them stifle your truth or stop you from doing something that you feel called to do, especially something that can help so many other people dealing with the same situation. And there's just no use worrying about something before it happens, because then you're creating a reality that isn't even there yet. Like we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. You know, at the end of the day, I look at this as the laws of cause and effect. They've had many choices and I've been in enough therapy and I've done enough confronting and given them enough information to have them have changed their ways. So I look at this as, you know, it's not my circus, not my monkey. These are the consequences they created. And the book isn't about them. The book is about me. The book is about others. And it's for people like me who really want to know how to get out and to not do so in a way that's mean or hurtful. And I teach drop the rope, just stop mending fences. It's really all you have to do. All you have to do is take away the two things they want attention and emotional reaction. Yeah, it's like giving them exactly what they want, rewarding bad behavior. It's just so hard not to feed that to them because when you are in that place, you're in your own emotional downward spiral. So when they beat you down to that level, it's almost like you're looking to them to repair you while they're looking for the attention. So it's this toxic cycle that just feeds off each other. That's right. And as you're looking to them to repair you, you're actually giving them attention and you're never getting what you need and they won't repair you. So it's a one-way relationship. They're getting everything they want watching you suffer. And they love watching you not get what you want from them to help you heal. So you get punished for every step that you take in self-love away from a toxic person. And what I want more than anything is to add value to take a victim to a victor. That you aren't going to get punished. That life is not... The family was broken and dysfunctional before. You're just getting rid of something that isn't broken and dysfunctional. So there's going to be a hole in your heart and in your life, but at least it's quiet now. You know, it's not blowing up all the time and your stress system will calm down. You'll become healthier. You'll create more opportunities in your life because you can actually be open to new opportunities, new levels of abundance new levels of success because you're not just focusing constantly on how do I make this person happy? How do I make this person love me? You mentioned that you're still affected to this day because of the dynamic that you had with your parents. So for the people that are still in a toxic relationship and they're trying to find that strength to leave, what are the dangers for them of staying in a toxic relationship even longer on their future relationships as these behavioral patterns become more and more ingrained into their personality traits? 
hundred percent because the stress system and finished book two just recently to this book, the stress system is going to be on hyper alert, especially with the toxic family. You become habituated to live in fight or flight. So this is causing cardiac arrest or cardiovascular disease. You're having fibromyalgia. You're having chronic fatigue. You're having constant worry, pleasing, depression, anxiety. These are the consequences. And on top of that, the complete loss of yourself and your purpose. You're having your life and your wealth and your health robbed from you. But at the end of the day, if you look at this very logically, you have what the toxic person wants. You have an emotional reaction and you give them attention. All you have to do is take that away. They cease to exist without it. Don't send thank you cards to separation abuse. If your toxic ex-boyfriend or girlfriend calls, don't answer, block the phone, delete, move on. It'll increase their desire to get in touch with you. If you continue to ignore it, they're going to go seek attention somewhere else. You have the right to be loved. You must love yourself. You must get out. You have a purpose. Tell your story. You're not alone. I mean, look at this, Melissa. This book is selling out. I never, ever in a million years would have thought that would have happened. I'm not surprised. I got enough emails specifically requesting I do an episode on toxic family members. So I know it's such a need out there. Yep. It's amazing. And and it's quiet because when you do this, it's amazing how many people will believe that you must be too sensitive or part of the problem, or aren't you going to regret this when she dies or it's your mom or your dad, surely they didn't mean it that way. And you have all these people that invalidate you even more when you have to just stand strong to that and you just state your way. My parent is toxic and this parent is not going to change. And if you haven't had experience with toxic people, don't expect you to understand it, but I need you to now respect my boundaries and my choices. So for the people that are listening to this that are thinking, okay, I recognize these patterns. I have a toxic family member or a toxic relationship. I need to do something about it. What are some actions that listeners can take right now? What did you do to start building back your self-confidence and even start to unlearn some of these unhealthy relationship dynamics? I'm a shrink who sees a shrink. I went to therapy. And first of all, to anyone listening, I would never see a therapist who's not in their own therapy just be aware that you want a therapist actively engaged in their own self-examination. But I sought therapy. I read a ton of books and a ton of research and I cleaned house. I got rid of toxic friends because once I noticed it, right? Like these aha moments, I was better able to recognize this in other people too, because I attracted toxic people being a pleaser. And I realized when pleasing other people started to kill me, I needed to learn to put myself first, but I did not want to be selfish, right? So I had to just redefine what self-love was. If I'm self-centered, yeah, that's selfish. But if I'm centered on myself, then I'm just doing self-care. But once you get one out, you can get two out and you can get three out and you'll start to attract into your life better, healthier people. As you heal, so will your choices and so will the love that you choose to keep get into therapy and I would journal write. I did a ton of that and read. There's so many ways to heal. Talking about it is a great way. I have a Facebook page of over 104,000 followers. 
that's something that the readers or the listeners should go join because we get to have a private dialogue. And I just can't recommend reading, journaling, or therapy strongly enough to get better. We need an objective in these situations because we feel so crazy. Yeah, for me personally, I tried therapy for a long time and it just wasn't for me. So for the listeners that don't feel drawn to therapy, I know reading is super helpful because you get to see this other perspective. It helped me to realize I wasn't crazy with some of the things happening with, say, bulimia or codependency. I read the book Codependent No More when I was getting out of my toxic relationship, and that was really helpful. And also journaling, because there really is a huge shift in perspective when you take your thoughts out of your head and you see them concrete on paper. You get to see them in a new light and your brain starts to come up with more creative problem-solving solutions. I think that those actionable items are important. Also, workout. there's nothing better for your brain chemistry than exercise. I don't care what kind of exercise that you do, but then find a purpose. Tell your story. I think it's so important to tell your story because connection is really what we want, especially coming from toxic family. And we connect through our stories. You just want to make sure that you're telling your story to somebody who's not going to take your pain and abuse you with it. You know, so find a group like my Facebook page or whatever, and really try and involve yourself there. The reviews on my book are just so heartfelt and incredible. They just bring me to tears because this is the kind of value that I wish would have been added to my life. I feel very blessed. I'm the trailblazer here, but I would have done anything to have any of this information. So once you turn the light on to awareness, your life was going to change a little more effortlessly than you think. I totally agree. And I know sharing can be really hard, especially if you're already in a state of loneliness. But I can say that when I really did start to share and start to get more vulnerable with what I was really struggling with, that's when I found my tribe. That's when people started reaching out to me and saying, thank you. I felt so alone with this for so long. And even my friendships started to deepen. Because if you're being somebody else on the outside and you're not being authentically you, then you're going to attract the perfect people for who you're trying to be instead of who you really are. Plus, I think the most powerful thing with just sharing some of the human condition that we are all struggling with is you start to realize how prevalent these issues really are, how many of us are actually struggling with the same things and we just feel ostracized like we're the only ones it's happening to. So I highly suggest that people do share a little bit more and I don't know who the people are around you. So maybe test the waters, share something small, see how that feels, and then get a little bolder next time. In my experience, that's when true connection really happens. It's not the grind of building yourself from the bottom up that was the grind that you left because you're not being poisoned anymore. So it's a more loving process. It's a lot gentler because you don't have to question yourself at every turn because you don't have someone pulling you away from your self-love. So we picture maybe the aloneness and misery that we have leaving that toxic family to be heavier than the pain we experienced in it. But it's not that way. You are free. You know, you're free and you can love yourself the way you want. And it's not selfish and no one's going to be there criticizing you. In the Michael Jackson thing, to revisit that for a minute, Wade Robson says, I would much rather live with the truth 
than carry that lie, even if no one believes me. Carrying that lie is so much harder than the criticism he's taking right now for telling the truth. And that is the same thing. It is liberating. Liberation is a beautiful, beautiful process. And let my life give you hope. I mean, I met the man of my dreams and I landed two book deals within six months. That's unheard of. All because I let go of focusing on the poison in my life. It opened up all this goodness. I'll link to your Facebook group and your book in the show notes at mindlove.com slash 075. Where else can listeners connect with you online? The website is www.sherry, which is spelled S-H-E-R-R-I-E, CampbellPhD.com. And Campbell is spelled like the soup. So SherryCampbellPhD.com. And please go visit my Facebook page. It's like free therapy. And I do thankful Thursday videos and I give three minutes of therapy. And that is SherryCampbellPhD.com on Facebook. I don't know what just happened to my voice, but it suddenly got world's worse. But hopefully it's better by next week because this shit's my moneymaker. Don't take this away from me, universe. I mean, maybe it's not so bad. Didn't Elizabeth Holmes change her voice to be like this on purpose? There's a strategy for everything. Check out the show notes at mindlove.com slash 075. And before I head out, I want to tell you about an amazing podcast. Since you love Mind Love, you'll probably love Master Your Mind, Body, and Spirit with host Matt Belair and world-renowned leaders. This show features candid conversations with experts in personal development, spirituality, and human optimization. Each episode is another key to help you unlock your infinite potential and assist you on your path to self-mastery. You'll get the best tips, tools, and technologies so you can master your mind, plus science, principles, and practices to master your body. Finally, you'll dive into the deepest depths of yourself, life, the universe, and the pursuit of discovering who you really are and consciously creating the life of your dreams. Explore timeless spiritual lessons and ancient teachings. Let go of any limitations and discover all of the tools to dramatically improve your health, well-being, and mindset. So check out that podcast. I think you'll love it. Don't forget to rate and review. I'll be reading more of my favorite reviews when my voice is better. And I'm going to jet because if this isn't my body speaking to me, then I don't know what is. So thanks for giving your mind a little love today and I'll see you next week. Thanks for tuning into your higher frequency with Mind Love. Head to mindlove.com for a free gift to keep your vibes up until next week. 